Welcome back, everyone. This is Discussing Who. I am Kyle Jones, and joining me always on this podcast, I want to welcome back Clarence Brown. Clarence, how are you? I am well, but ready for this whole thing to be over so, so I can get out and interact and talk with people. And yeah, I'm just ready to get out the house, man. Uh, but, but yeah, other than that, I'm doing pretty good. Doing well. Sort of like about, you, you kind of felt like your house, you just kind of feel entombed in your house and we're communicating over these cyber means. You felt like you were in a tomb of a cyberman, maybe? Maybe. Maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hadn't really occurred to you before, but yeah. You know. Yeah, you know, maybe a little less backstabbing, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, if you were in a tomb of a Cyberman, you might need a cyber controller. So with that in mind, welcome back, Lee Shackelford. Thank you. <laughs> you Glad do to not be want back. me to start talking like, no, that's the first uh, one. Like the, yeah. Yeah, there's more of a drone on this one. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. And you know what you really don't want is that uh, that uh, piece of um, incidental music that they play for the Cybermen. Oh, that- I love that. Oh, it drives me bananas. Oh, good. Well, we're already into the episode. So we're- <laughs> I didn't notice. So. <laughs> oh. oh. So for everyone listening, if you haven't figured out, guess what? Tomb of the Cybermen. That's what we're talking about. But I didn't... Oh, man, I watched the wrong episode. Darn it. But I didn't let you finish, Lee Shack, for saying, mm. how are you? How are you? Oh, I'm fine. I'm, I'm just... I, I'm, I'm like Clarence. I'm just going stir nuts. And um, yeah. Well, I am... I want to get out. I want to get out. Yeah, I definitely agree. Definitely, definitely agree. It is kind of a little bit stir crazy here. Um, so I am totally, totally in agreement. But what I'm also in agreement with is since we last recorded, we have some news, which I think is really, really cool. I did not see this as quickly as I normally see when we get a rating or review on iTunes, but we got one on April the 10th. This comes from someone named Whovian8254. And it says, Great podcast. Kind, funny guys, and a complete and utter joy to listen to. Keep it up. They stay positive and really care about Doctor Who. Cool. Very cool. Hey. That's just the best. That's just the best. <laughs> so Whovian8254 Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. And for everyone listening, if you would like for us to read your five-star review on the show, all you have to do is go to iTunes, our Apple podcast, as it is now called, and leave us a five-star rating, and we will read it on the show. We won't read anything else. Nope. But you know what we might read, Lee Shackelford, and you might be able to tell people about this, is... Something that we have been asking people lately. So what might that be that we've been asking people lately? We're, we've been tasked with the, given the happy task of writing a chapter for a book about fictional characters and, and the, uh, uh, specifically we get to write about the doctor and, um, you know, our, our opinions are what they are, but wouldn't it be lovely if we could hear from a lot of other people, too? And we have been hearing from people, and we're so grateful for the people who've written in to tell us why the doctor, not the TV show, but the character, why the character is important to you, why you feel like the doctor matters, or what is it about the doctor that is significant and meaningful to you. So write to us, discussing who at gmail.com. You can also send that via voicemail to 805-850-3946. And I would also add that we, as part of this, have received some awesome insight from someone named Tracy Gold. So, Tracy, thank you so much for sending it in. And anyone listening, please send us some information about why you think Doctor Who is important to you. We want to know. Yeah. So, Guys, help me out here. Last recording, did we mention Time Lord Victorious, this new thing that is coming from Doctor Who? Did we mention that? I, I see, 
for, sort of feel like we talked about it after we got off the air. You know what? I think you may well be right. I have some information about that since then. And this Time Lord Victorious, here's a brief summary. This story follows several doctors across space and time as they defend their home planet from a terrible race. This is a story like no other. Time Lord Victorious is a brand new multi-platform Doctor Who story told across audio, novels, comics, vinyl, digital, immersive theater, escape room, and game. Time Lord Victorious will launch in September 2020 over 12 weeks with products and experiences releasing from September until January 2021. Thoughts. What do you guys think of that? Uh, to me, it sounds like if we're calling this Time Lord um, Torius, it sounds like he's going too far. He's he's unhinged. Like, <laughs> is this something good to have a tentpole arc uh, across different media about? I don't know. Maybe they'll make it interesting. Lee, what say you? I'm just intrigued sort of from the, I guess, from the outside view that um, it's um, – Oh, uh, uh, that it involves so many different kinds of media. Um, uh, there's a technical term for this and I, and it's, and I'm just blanking on what it is. Massive. um, (laughs) Well, yeah, but, um, but yes, uh, an event that, that, that does things like a a live event that's tied to a radio show or tied to a comic book or something like that. That's any case. Um, it's, it's really daring. And, um, those of us who have gotten caught up in, um, the, who have landed in the trap, I should say, of, um, of multi-title comic book events, uh, Secret Wars or whatever, um, showing my age there, I think. And you know that it, it, it can, it can also wear out its welcome really fast, you know, when, you know, and to find out what happens next, you're going to have to go do this or, so I, 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 I'm hoping that they've got some wisdom about it. Well, we shall see. We shall see. We shall and, see. And it merely just across uh, books, comics, and the radio dramas, is it not hitting the show at all? No, I don't no. believe so. Not, no. not the show proper. No. Right. Now, that would be awesome if they could find a way to tie all of those in. Um, mm-hmm. That would be pretty freaking cool. Yeah. Now, what I'm curious about is, will th- will this finally see Eccleson returning in some fashion to Doctor Who proper other than attending, you know, events because the story is going to center around eight, nine, and ten. A really good point. Yeah. Huh. Don't know. But I guess we will find out we'll in find September. Out. Yes. Yeah. Well, speaking um, of making yeah. very good points, we have some feedback from none other than Dave Cooper. So guys, are we ready to listen to our feedback? As always. Hi everyone, hi to Kyle, Clarence and Lee and the uh, listeners of Discussing Who. It's Dave AC here from the Colton Collective, one of the co-hosts with Ian the Sixth Doctor. And um, I'm just responding to a question put to me by Kyle on episode 192, uh, their review of Time and the Rani, and uh, what somebody in the UK at the time thought about uh, Sylvester McCoy's portrayal of the Seventh Doctor. Well, I would say I'm speechless because um, uh, it was at a point possibly the most uh, easily, the most likely place where I may have stopped watching Doctor Who. It, it was that cringeworthy, I must say. Uh, the famously, the, um, the the first Doctor in the Three Doctors says, "Oh, um, a, a dandy and a fool." Well, I think if you, if the seventh doctor had been in that episode, the first doctor would have said, a dandy, a fool, and a buffoon. Um, Sylvester McCoy uh, was no more for children's TV. I did. I was aware of him. I didn't know that he could play the spoons. And, um, I think the, uh, him getting the role was as much a surprise to him as to us when we saw him. No, I don't remember knowing who it was coming to take over in the role. Um, and of course, there's the very long, and I won't go into it, long story about, and I think you mentioned it on the call of, um, you know, the uh, sixth doctor, Colin Baker, not coming in for the, uh, the transitional image. Uh, all I remember is that, uh, Sylvester McCoy looked, uh, almost shrunken in the, uh, sixth doctor clothes. 
Um, it was a very inauspicious uh, start to a new doctor, probably the worst one ever. And indeed, I think uh, some admiration was given to uh, the uh, the actress who uh, played uh, the Rani, Kate O'Mara, who I'd seen in a lot of TV series. And uh, I don't know, uh, I thought she basically had to carry this very first episode. Indeed, you could say that she carried the whole of the the story. Um, did I accept him as a doctor? Well, yes, I did. But I was, I was bemused about the choice, I must admit. Um, and this is not to say that we've not come to love um, uh, Sylvester McCoy and his portrayal. And he did, in a way, try to do something that um, had failed with the Sixth Doctor, and that was to think that there was something more to the Doctor than being a Time Lord, as indeed has been brought back with our very latest series um, that has just ended uh, when, you know, uh, so much more is revealed, so much more is now canon to the the Doctor's origins and so on. Um, in, in this case, uh, we developed a slightly, um, you know, um, Merlin, Merlin-esque type of vibe. And, uh, uh, of course, this was enforced by Ace when she came along calling the professor. And I must admit, it was really Ace coming along and the partnership of the Seventh Doctor and Ace that really actually makes the standout contribution to Doctor Who from them. I do believe, honestly, that their partnership was one of the best partnerships in all of Doctor Who. Um, but you felt it was, uh, if I was going to put a, a science uh, thing on it, it was not like um, a planet. It was not like um, Sylvester was the star and um, Sophie Aldred was the planet orbiting around him and supporting him. It was really a binary star. That's the way I look at their relationship and um, and their... There was a definite magic in there, and you may talk about it in another story. Famously, uh, Sylvester stepped up to the plate and actually rescued Sophie Aldred in one episode where they were filming, and she was trapped in a tube that was filling with water. That was supposed to seem was supposed to work well, but he realised that she actually was in some difficulty and not screaming, <laughs> as you mentioned, uh, the body Tyler screaming, but. Um, that uh, she was um, in fear for her life. Yeah, Buddy Tyler, um, again, took me a little while to come to her. But again, she has been a real stalwart of Doctor Who um, over the years. And she is, um, I think, more of a, a dancer than a singer, but indeed Lee commented on on the fact that she is perhaps being underrated. Not necessarily one of my favourite uh, companions, but um, nonetheless uh, a welcome thing. So what did I think? Well, Time Narani, um, uh, the less said the better in some ways, Paradise Towers. I didn't really like that. Delta and the Bannerman, I quite like because that did have an aspect of uh, British uh, summer to it and um, I did enjoy it. But it was indeed for me, only when we got to Dragonfire and the advent of Sophie Aldred uh, joining him that I really feel as though that was good. And then, of course, there's the big debacle about the 25th anniversary. I prefer... Remembrance of the Daleks, much more than Silver Nemesis. Uh, Happiness Patrol is, um, well, there's a podcast called that, so it must be good. Um, is, is, is one of these Marmite episodes, I do think. But, um, in that series, Remembrance of the Dalek, uh, was probably to my mind his best. And then in that foursome, the last of the stories was, um, the greatest show in the galaxy. So from Remembrance of the Daleks, um, I was on board with him. It wobbled a bit with happiness control. Uh, Silver Nemesis was a, a bit of a patchwork, but there were some great guest stars in that. And then Greatest Show in the Galaxy. And of course, Battlefield with the Brigadier and so on was excellent. And um, I've come to appreciate Ghostlight more now uh, in later days than I did when I first watched it. Curse of Fendrick, I thought was great. And Survival um, with Anthony Ainley, uh, of course, as the master there. Uh, that, that really 
does bear watching again if you've not looked back at it for some time. So there's an awful lot to recommend it. As I say, Bonnie, uh, Bonnie Langford um, did what she was asked to do and she did it uh, with lots of bounce and verve and um, maybe slightly grating at times, but uh, nonetheless uh, a worthwhile uh, companion. Ketamara Zarani, excellent, excellent. She's a... Uh, a brilliant actress, and uh, I've seen her in a lot of things. She's been in uh, ha- 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 Hammer, House of Horror films, and so on. And um, she was um, in Triangle, as soap in the UK, and Howard's Way. She was brilliant in um, a soap called Howard's Way, which is definitely worth checking out. Um, just a final thing. Um, I don't think I remember you mentioning it, but uh, Wanda Ventham was in... Um, the Tandarani playing Farron and I think Lee should give one extra Mel Bushy's screaming in the bubble for the fact that Sherlock's mother was in this episode. Yes, of course, uh, famously Wanda Ventham and Timothy Carlton is it, uh, Benedict's Benedict Cumberbatch's dad and they appeared in, I think, three episodes from the TV series Sherlock. So, um, I think that deserves, move your bing up, uh, please, Lee, and give him, uh, uh, give the episode one more point for that. So, sorry if I've gone on too long, guys. I do tend to do that. And, uh, I do appreciate your things. I do listen to it. I, I was a little bit slow, uh, in the takeoff reply to you because, um, I had to listen to this one in sections because as, um, you probably guess Time in the Rani is not really one of my favourite stories, but uh, there are some excellent stories, and the standout ones for me, as mentioned before, would be Remembrance of the Daleks, um, Battlefield, uh, and maybe Survival. Okay, well, back to the main show, guys, and uh, thanks for all your work and all your things, and of course, discussing Trek, and I have to mention Relativity. Well done, guys. That's enough from me. Bye for now. And as always, Dave Cooper, our hat is off to you. Our hats are off to you, not our hat <laughs> is. Our yes. multiple hats. Yes. We tip yeah. a fez and yeah, whatever else we got here. Yeah, a fedora <laughs> and all those good things. All right. <laughs> all right. Even a recorder. Maybe. No, no recorder. recorder no recorder. Too, no. Oh, Every, darn it. Everything but that. No. But yeah, always, Dave Cooper, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Very, very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, gentlemen, next question. Are you ready to get into the story? Let's go. Telos. That means I get to say, if you have not seen Tomb of the Cybermen, put us on pause. Go out. Watch the episode. Come back. Take us off pause. Because from this moment forward, spoilers. 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 Alrighty, we are back and we are ready to review Tomb of the Cybermen. This is the first serial of Season 5 of Doctor Who, airing in four parts between the 2nd and the 24th of September 1967. Originally thought lost until recovered from a station in Hong Kong in 1991, Tomb of the Cybermen is the earliest Second Doctor story to survive in its entirety. So, Clarence Brown, summary view. What did you think of this story? I really enjoyed it. Uh, I thought it was a good look at portraying the Cybermen as this, this Cybermen, excuse me, as this uh, long lost civilization of sorts. (laughs) So, that aspect I really enjoyed. I think what made this particular arc fun as well was the uh, myriad of, of people, characters that were involved in, in the actual plot of what was going on. So I really enjoyed that. Um, and I heard from Lee, the first black guy on Doctor Who. Uh, I didn't know that until I heard him mention it, but that's cool too. Although he is portrayed kind of weirdly, so we'll talk about that. Yes, we will. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think I had fun with it. I really really enjoyed it. It was cool seeing uh, uh, Vic. I thought she was good. As well as uh, Jamie. I think this is one of the few times I've seen him on screen, so I I, I quite enjoyed it. I, I actually really love the second Doctor in this. I really do. Oh, that is so cool. He feels modern. He feels for the time that this came out, he feels more like a modern Doctor to me. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, Lee, what say you? 
Uh, a lot of the same things. Uh, I've seen it, um, you know, many times before, but uh, watching it again for this, I, uh, I, I picked up on things that I hadn't picked up on before. And uh, for one thing, I'd, I had forgotten how many of my favorite second Doctor moments are from Tomb of the Cybermen. So um, it is sort of like um, uh, what's best about the second Doctor concentrated. That's that's fun. Although although he is the Doctor who's had most you know the most episodes erased. So you know <laughs> we do, we don't have a lot of his adventures anyway so there you go but i I did i I had a lot of fun with this how about you Mm, i i'm so happy to hear that you guys like this because other than you know well the five doctors was my first introduction to the second doctor but this Mm. was my first second doctor story that i watched on dvd back in the 10 15 years ago and it it was an instantaneous, like, I love this doctor. I thought he was cool. I loved the way he portrayed the doctor, the differences from the first doctor. And watching mm. it again, it just reminds me, Patrick Troughton, we, if we did not have Patrick Troughton, I don't think we would have Doctor Who today. That's almost certainly true. Yep. Wow. So I liked it. I really, really, really liked it. But as we get into the story, you know, I kind of want to talk first about before we get into actual story points and characters, I want to talk about the scope of this story and the way it was told. Thinking in the budget that we had 1967, thinking in the year that it is 1967 and the standards of production, I kind of thought this was a grand scope of a story. Yes, there's, you know, you, we could pick the technicality of it apart, but do you guys agree that there was kind of a grandiose type story feel to this? Yeah, it is, um, a, a base under siege story, you know, they, they're, they're stuck inside this place and, and so on. And it's kind of like, uh, the tombs of Tutankhamun. There's a big room and it leads off to another room and so on. Uh, and, and they're all, you know, kind of small sets really. And we're outside for a little bit in, in a rock quarry. But then we go into this room that has the, the, the honeycomb of the Cybermen. And, you know, at first glance, I, I remember thinking the first time I saw this, I thought, well, that's a miniature. And then these, you know, these actors started punching their way out. And I said, holy smoke, they built all of that. How, how big is that thing? It's absolutely enormous. And it's, it's, it's one of those tableaus that whenever you see a, a retrospective of, of classic who, they will always use that shot of the, the, the Cybermen breaking mm-hmm. out of the tomb because, uh, it's, it's a pretty stupendous thing. Yeah. All righty, cool. So let's talk about the tomb for a moment. You know, you're talking about the scale of it, but I'm wanting to talk a little bit more in the idea of, and I know it goes into the story, but you know, usually when you see a story like this, you have, and I'll, I'll specifically reference the series eight with Missy's first story. So spoilers for Miss, you know, Missy's first stories series mm. eight, but we didn't kind of get that big reveal of the Cybermen until the very end. In contrast, they weren't hiding that this is Cybermen control. There were cyber helmets, cyber bodies, cyber everything seemed to be plastered everywhere. It was like branding 101. Did you guys mm-hmm. kind of feel that too? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I got a few questions uh, for you guys before I actually answer this. So, how many Cybermen stories do we actually have before this? Is I, it, think, is it, I think it's Moonbase. I think, I think there's just the one. Well, okay. the one and well, and the tenth planet, right? Yeah, moon base the tenth planet. That's right, of course. Yeah, yeah, right. So, so for me, from that aspect, I feel like they did a good job of introducing a lot of things we probably look back now and, and take a lot of pause to. And when I say that, I, I mean things like um, uh, Victoria getting trapped in the chamber. The small things like that, which we know the Cybermen kind of, they kind of make up what the Cybermen are now in hindsight. Uh, I feel like seeing some of those things come about was really interesting and cool. Yeah, we certainly learn a lot about them, don't we, This uh, uh, in this story about 
at least where that where we are in the 25th century. Somebody mentions briefly, but, but they say that the Cybermen have been uh, have been defeated long ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that that's just in, in the timeline as we look on it now. We think, well, that's interesting. Hmm. <laughs> but yeah, to see them treated as this ancient, long dead right. <laughs> race, and they're just so fascinated to learn more about them. Yeah. And, and and willing to take the risk, you know, and and, and obviously a very uh, miscalculated risk to, yeah. to go in and, and uh, learn more about them. I, I found that very fascinating. Well, you know, you made a statement just a moment ago about this may be where a lot of the concepts and ideas were set. And I may be mm-hmm. paraphrasing your words right there, but you are very true in that feeling. Case in point, this is the first time we see the Cybermats. This is the first time mm-hmm. we see the Cyber Controller. Uh-huh. Yeah, all things that we'll, we'll come to take for granted later. Yeah. Yeah. Then they have some wonderful scenes um, with the mind control as well. You know, I don't know if they've shown that before uh, this episode, but I thought that was that felt very new who <laughs> to see the mind control. And um, oh, man, and that scream that would give somebody a seizure. We're just testing to see who, who has epilepsy in the audience here. Yeah. Yeah. Clarence, I want to point a question toward you. And you said that this doctor felt very modern to you. Curious why, what was it about him that felt modern to you or mm. relevant? Wow. See, now it's really hard to place that you put it back on. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I just feel like he's very, feels very different from the first in the sense that I never really, well, at least in this, this story, I never felt like he was talking down. Um, mm-hmm. I felt like there was some respect between, um, he and Jamie. And also I love the fact that he was bringing in Victoria, uh, in the wake of the story that I didn't see of something happening to her father and bringing her on board. So I, I love that bit of compassion from him as well. All right, Lee, what say you? Well, I, yeah, I'm just glad to see uh, Victoria join the cast because I just think Deborah Watling was the cutest thing. Oh, yeah, she's, she was four eleven. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So you then when she's when uh, uh, De- when Victoria is ever in the same shot with Toberman, who is six four, you know, <laughs> it's just <laughs> this is fantastic. I was kind of struck by this too, I think, watching it this time. Um, Matt Smith has said that he uh, has drawn uh, some inspiration for his portrayal of the Doctor from Patrick Troughton's. And uh, it really made me think, uh, since we had just seen uh, Remembrance of the Daleks, that there's a little bit of um, the the second Doctor in Sylvester McCoy's Doctor too. The sort of... um, you're not sure if he's if he's kidding sometimes if he's he seems uh, on the edge of being a clown and then he'll turn 180 degrees and you're you're reminded that he's completely in charge of the situation and is the smartest person in the room. Yeah. Um uh, the the doctor likes to trust people and <laughs> and always wants to think the best of them and I I think that's that's sweet but it seems like it often he often reg- is made to regret it. Yeah. And that's maybe that's not his fault but it seems like in this story, he planted the seed a lot. And when I say that, uh, I think it's particularly when I'm talking about, I think it was Viner, where uh, he was telling him about how to decipher this control system. He didn't really give it all to him. He kind of just gave him this little bit you know, for him mm-hmm. to run with it. I, I, I really love that in this episode yeah. as well. Yeah. So you couldn't have segued more perfect into what... Uh, I'm about to say my notes here for the doctor says this story perfectly showcases how this version of the doctor quietly impacts events, consistently being unassuming until such time as he needs to be something else. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And that's, that's well what put. I love about him was you had that first doctor who was kind of in your face and wanted you to know to some degree how smart he was in many oh, ways. Yeah. yeah. And this one will just fumble and bumble and let you kind of do it. And he's pushing all your buttons until it's the right time to, you know, I'm in control here. This is what we need to do. <laughs> though, though I will say at times, it seems like he <laughs> waited a little too long. <laughs> 
like when they're in that uh, in the tomb at the bottom of the tomb. I'm like, oh, <laughs> is anybody going to step in here? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I want to talk a minute about Victoria, uh, and you guys have mentioned her, but I want to talk about how she was characterized, and I don't fault her for this in any way. I think she did a fantastic job. However, my notes here that I've got about her is I know that this is the first series of her as a full companion. And I wanted to ask what you guys, and which is what I'm doing, asking about what you thought of her characterization. For me, she felt like it seemed that she bounced between helpless and fearless. Mm -hmm. Did you guys feel the same? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and you just have to feel like it's, um, a clumsiness of the script. I I think you're quite right. You you can't lay that on Deborah Watling because, um, if you, if you've seen evil, if if you're an audience who has seen evil of the Daleks, you know, shortly before this, we know that she's from Victorian England. She's actually named for the queen. And, and her father was messing about with the time travel like uh, H.G. Wells and comes uh, afoul of the Daleks. So. He ends up uh, being killed by the Daleks, of course. And um, so now she's she's had this crazy adventure and she's lost her family and home and everything. So the doctor, you know, invites her to come along. Well, so just knowing what I know about, um, you know, life and culture of that time, it's really hard to believe that she's going to put on a 1960s skirt and <laughs> and be comfortable with that. But, you know, we'll buy it. So let's, you know, but she. She's also very quick to say to the men in the room, I can take care of myself. Yeah. And we love that. But you also want to say, wait a minute. Is she a woman of the 60s or is she a woman of, from the 1880s? Because make up your mind. I, uh, <laughs> you know, and then, I mean, that's, of course, not to say it would be foolish to think that there that there are not women in, in you know, uh, from 100 years prior who who would not have said, listen, I can take care of myself. There certainly were. But it seems like it's her first response to people. And so, yeah, it does make it kind of hard to know what to make of her. Yeah, that's interesting because I felt as if the story's treatment of her and just the women in general in this this, this story uh, felt like it was very of its time. But if you tell me she's from the time period you said she is... Mm -hmm. (laughs) It seems like the doctor was just protecting her. Now that makes me feel feel better about him telling her to stay back, you know. Yeah, right. Uh, versus me looking at a lens of, oh, this is 1960, and they're not yeah. letting women do anything. So I'm glad right. you framed it that way. <laughs> well, that's it. I feel like if there's ever a companion who would have been justified in saying, why don't I just go back to the TARDIS and let and let you people sort this out? Because <laughs> I am yeah. in way over, way over my head here. But you know that. For whom is that not true in Doctor Who? <laughs> yeah. You, you, you join the Doctor's adventures, you're going to get into the, the thick of it. You know? So. Oh, they do something very weird with her with the, um, the first Cyber Mat we see when she puts mm-hmm. it in her purse or pocket or whatever. I can't remember. Yeah. I was like, really? He just, he just told you that was dangerous. Did, yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. That's another one. <laughs> Well, and the thing that people, when I hear people complain about uh, Victoria in this episode, the thing that gets them is that she's been drugged, that she lets herself be drugged by a caftan. She shakes off the drug very quickly, and then with a gun that she's never seen before, she shoots that <laughs> Cyberman across the room like Annie Oakley. And you go, wow, I guess the drugs have worn off. <laughs> Since most people couldn't do that no matter what. But a quick study. Yeah. So it's it's just it, it for, for for the purposes of telling the story, of course, you know, all those emotional beats have to happen. The, you know, her being drugged and you know somebody's going to shoot the cybermat, and that's a, so they have her do it. Cool, but it, as it plays, it doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> but you know what? Even though it doesn't make sense, again, to her being the actor's portrayal and her ability to portray the character. Even though there is some inconsistencies, I still felt the character was believable. Yeah, yeah, I'm completely invested in her, and uh, yeah, I always want her to be okay. And I just feel like she's got an interesting relationship with Jamie right from the start. That they they kind of don't know what to make of each other. I don't know. It's just <laughs> she's just fun companion. Now help me. I out. saw. 
Yeah, I saw Deborah Watling uh, at um, the the Gallifrey that she was at, which I can't remember what year that was. But I've always felt bad about that, and she she's she's passed now, dear lady. Um, I wasn't prepared for seeing her in her sixties, you know, and so I was. I'm afraid I was staring at her across the room, thinking, "Is that Deborah Watling?" And she saw me looking, and she looked at me like, "You, you got a problem?" You know. <laughs> I thought, oh, you know. I looked away, and I thought. Then, then later I realized that that was her, and I thought, oh, I'm sorry for that to be my interaction with Deborah Watling, for God's sake. You know? Anyway, yeah. these things happen. Well, another thing before we move on from her, and help me out here, she did not stay as a companion for that many stories, did she? Well, I think she's in seven stories, oh, okay. five of which have been lost. Okay, then that's why I'm thinking she didn't stay. Right. We okay. We have... We have Tomb of the Cybermen now, and we have Enemy of the World, which was also only recently discovered. Got you. Got so, you. Got yeah. You. Uh, well, she has a distinction or a uniqueness with the companion who I believe follows her, who is Zoe. After Zoe and, you know, left, I don't recall any other companions that the doctor has invited to be a companion that has actually traveled that have been from another time period other than the present, whatever it is that that doctor is in. Can you think of anybody else that's like he picked up from the sixties or picked up from the 1800s or picked up from the future after them? Well, well, Jamie's from 18th century Scotland. Right. But after the second doctor, after that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, apart from from aliens, yeah, uh, no, Mm-mm. no, they're all from they're all from the future. They're all from the time that the show is being broadcast. Yep. In other words, bingo. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, he he. So he's uh, the second doctor here for this time is traveling with a young man from the 18th century and a young woman from the 19th century, which I think is interesting. So yeah. And and really, you have to wonder if Jamie doesn't resent her just because she's English. But I don't – because so many of those episodes are missing, we don't know if that ever came up. But, you know, he's a good sport and he's learned to <laughs> – he's learned that the world is a lot bigger than he was told it was, you know. <laughs> and it's not flat. <laughs> and it's not – They'd already right. figured that out by then, though. <laughs> yeah, I think he would have known, but, but yeah. All right. But two people who might would have acted like their world was flat because it was only from their perspective – would have been Cleeg and or Clegg or however you pronounce them and Miss Captain. So what did you guys think of these two <laughs> dastardly duos? And Clarence, Ooh, why don't you take it first? What a bunch of jerks, man. <laughs> What's so bad about Mr. Eric Cleeg is that even after, you know, I guess they came in with a plan to to, you know, uh harness power some way. I don't know what that plan was, but <laughs> even after seeing they really had no chance against the Cybermen. Yet and still, he's persuaded by Miss Copton and they continue this plot to somehow uh, rule over or control the Cybermen. Just a bad plan all around. And supposedly for some of the smartest humans that have <laughs> ventured out, uh, he's really kind of brain dead. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for a genius, he's kind of a moron. Yeah. So, oh man, I, they, good villains, but, you know, mm-hmm. just, just, oh boy, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they both get killed and, you know, we didn't shed any tears for them. <laughs> Not at all. I'm, I'm intrigued by the, why the writer would name this woman Kaftan, though. I mean, a, a Kaftan is a, is a robe. It's a tunic. You know, it'd be like naming, you know, one of the other characters Nightshirt or something. (laughs) Anyway, but yes, she's Kaftan. Okay, whatever. But um, yeah, Cleek is uh, one of the things that struck me going around with this one uh, this time is that um, like um, Davros in Genesis, the Daleks. Oh, somebody else in one of the stories we've looked at recently, they, they keep stressing the importance of, of the harshness of the reality of furthering their plans and how they don't, um, they, we need to have a life without pity and a life without mercy. And in the end, they beg for mercy. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they don't get it. It's like, well, you're the one who said it, you know, it's so, so there's that tune again. Really? Why he is so confident that the Cybermen are going to work with him is just is a complete mystery. I mean, yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> it's just a delusion. And 
moments after being almost assimilated, he turns right back around. I have the cyber gun now. And then right, we can take do what I say. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, really quick before we move on, one thing I found interested, and and I even went back and looked it up again after hearing you guys m- mention her the way you did. Actress Shirley Cooklin was who portrayed Miss Captain. She mm-hmm. was married to a producer by the name of Peter Bryan, and her character was written especially for her by Jerry Davis. And he was the script editor or yeah, script editor on the preceding story and was allowed to produce this story to test if he could take over as producer later in the series. So yeah. Interesting that so maybe she liked the word captain and said that's who I want to be called. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, but and you know sometimes it, you can really resent it when somebody higher up the the ladder you know gets their their wife or girlfriend into the show. But she's ter- she's great. You know, oh, yeah. you can't resent it at all. No. But, um, she is a white woman with a black slave, and well, I know I'm hoping we'll come back to that. <laughs> oh, maybe because maybe. that's next on the list. Okay. They were the lead in to talk about Toberman. Well, I'm afraid that when I think about Tomb of the Cybermen, Toberman is what I think is what and who I think of first. Surely in Doctor Who, it would be if if we went to Earth's past. And we saw a white woman with a black man in slavery. We would we would feel sad about that, but we wouldn't think it was out of the ordinary. We know that's our our history. Here's a white woman with a black man as a slave, and it's the future. Isn't there a part of you that wants to say, no, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I mean, just from that. But he's also uh, dumb, <laughs> dumb. He is only semi-articulate. And it's. I, I'm sure somebody like Dave Cooper can can correct me if I'm wrong about this, but I do think this is the first black man on Doctor Who, and it's been four years. Okay, I think you are correct, but I did learn something, and this is another reason why I love going back and watching this with a mindset of how we're mindset to review these, right? Be- because it he always did bother me from yeah. from, from the exact things that you said. But before I say what I found out, I'm, I'm curious to, <laughs> to hear what Clarence thinks of, about his, him. Yeah, just everything Lee said. Uh, my first impression, like, is, is this got a muscle? I kind of thought he was going to get killed off first. Yeah. What, what I do like about what they did with his character, in spite of, you know, the way he's kind of treated in this episode, going from one in slavery to another, I do like that he kind of mm-hmm. redeemed himself by the end of the episode. So I thought that was really cool. But, you know, just what a brute of a guy. He might as well have been saying Hulk smash the entire time. Yeah. It's just, just, <laughs> and, and what really irked me a little bit about this was thinking about what else was going on at the time of, of this airing or the year of this airing we had star trek on tv yeah talk about a, a show that gets that right <laughs> boy i hadn't even thought about it that way but yeah this yeah. is not exactly lieutenant uhura is it this is yeah yeah and then yeah. this is the future like you right. say <laughs> i know man so we we don't know what culture they, they come from but yeah. yeah it is it's just it's sad and and watching it again this time i I guess that jumping ahead a bit, that the the last shot is meant to suggest to us that maybe the, we'll see the Cybermen again. Yep. But yep. but what we're left with is a Cybermat and Toberman's body. <laughs> and so what I'm afraid is that maybe the idea was the next time we'd see Toberman, he's going to be a Cyberman. But mm-hmm. so maybe that was the story purpose of that. But the the optics that I got was the Doctor, whom we love, and his companions look around. Here's this this dead man who just saved them, and they're like they wipe they sort of you know dust their hands off and say, "Well, let's go." <laughs> and, oh, see, I didn't even get that. I got so sad say, that I didn't get that. Could, could could we? I don't know, bury him or something. I oh well, I yeah. <laughs> he 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 does redeem him. I mean, there's there's that moment where he turns and says, "You are evil," <laughs> you know, yeah. and and you got to say something for a guy who can beat up a Cyberman with his bare hands. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> when, gun, though, when bullets won't stop them, you know. <laughs> yeah, he, he he got him back for ho- hoisting him over the Cyberman's head earlier, which the, right. the stream was very visible. By yes, the, right, but, right, but he, so, yeah. 
<laughs> but he got the Cyberman back and he did the same kind of move near the end. <laughs> yeah. But, now, but Tober, Toberman just makes me sad. He just, he just yeah. deserves better. And, but I, and I understand that this is one of those, those 11th hour things that one of the ideas about making him inarticulate was that they wanted him to be deaf and mm. to have a very prominent, some kind of a mechanical device that allowed him to hear. Interesting. And that the idea was that this was somehow going to facilitate the Cybermen taking him over. Yes. Interesting. An idea that will be used later in uh, uh, Age of Steel. Well, well, in Rise of the Cybermen and, uh, yeah, in Pete's world. That everybody's got those things in their ears and uh, that's that's how Cybus uh, does it. But. I was wondering if that's what you were talking about, yeah, Kyle, that, because that, that is exactly what I was Because as we know, having a hearing aid is the next step to just having, you know, your whole brain taken over by yeah, <laughs> obviously. Forces, you know. so, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. look at look, see now you finally know what's wrong with me after all exactly. these Exactly. You <laughs> you're on your way to being converted. But yeah. yeah, just 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 real quick on Toberman before we move away. Um the doctor makes this sort of cool speech to to Toberman about they're just trying to be your enslavers and break free mm-hmm. and like, okay, this 967, a good, a good message. Yeah. yeah. All right. Great message. But hundred years too late, but, but, but Cap, Cap, uh, uh, captain was, was basically her, his enslaver too. So what was the point? Right. Yeah. Why didn't you raise that <laughs> objection when you, when you first got here? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> But I will say that knowing that originally the character was intended to be deaf and, of course, would not speak as much, and then they didn't go back and rewrite the lines, it made me have a little bit better feeling about it as opposed to it coming. Because to me, it came across as the way they were presenting it was he was not a white dude, so he couldn't talk that much. That's the way it looked. And the optics weren't good. Yeah, so much so that when he did talk, I was surprised. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, um, he's not all the way down. <laughs> oh boy, that magnificent actor. I mean, his name is Roy Stewart, and he, I mean, the talk about body of a god. He's just, oh yeah, it's fantastic. And yeah, obviously that's why he's here. And he did have a long career of playing those kinds of roles, uh, which is kind of too bad. One of them's in Live and Let Die, though, so he he does get a lot of. A camera time and uh you know arguably one of the best of the james bond movies so yeah it's 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 kind of sad uh i was reading a little bit about him today and i said that uh when uh, he left to jamaica he came to the uk sort of with the plans of being a doctor wow yeah interesting and instead he ends up a career of making movies and tv shows where he has character roles with names like negro number one. <laughs> oh man uh... Wow. And Toberman. <laughs> and Toberman. But, but so I'll ask Toberman. But it's, it's, you know, when he, when he, he sacrifices himself to close that door the last time, it's, yeah. You, you stand up and cheer. You know, so, but, yeah, but, way but, to come back from. I, I really appreciate it, man. Uh, but, but you know what? I, I really have to say, you know, give it to him. He may not have had many lines. But uh, but all these lined from left, right, and center with wordy, 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 word, white people could not have shut the door and could have not have opened the door if it weren't yeah. from the black guy. That's true. Yeah, yeah Jamie couldn't do it. No. Nope. Yeah. So nobody opened the door. He opened the door, and he kept the door shut. He was the o- bookend on either side of the story. <laughs> Hold the door. indeed all right so another character i want to talk about really quickly and just briefly kind of give a little synopsis of this guy captain hopper to me was so obsessed with i can't do anything but go outside and work on the ship i'll be at back because i gotta go work on the ship yeah but that you can't see for budget reasons. Yes. But I got to go work on it because that's all I can do is go work on the ship. Ready to go. Well, I like him because he's so very American. And I thought, well, you know, I, my British accent is my British accents are not perfect. So I'm not going to mock this British actor for his his I'm American. That means everything's <laughs> going to have an extra R in it. You know, I'm here to be the commander of this you know, operation. But um, that's George Rubicek. He's from Austria. <laughs> Oh, what? Oh, wow. So, you know, his, his command of, um, English and then doing a dialect in it 
mm, pretty good. He, he, you should look him up too. He's somebody else who had a, a, a long film career. I mean, he, he was, he, George Rubichek was in everything, but yeah, here he is as a, as a young actor as Captain Hopper. Cool. Cool. And his rocket ship. So guys, I don't have any other notes, but I am curious before we do our favorite scene or favorite quote and our favorite, our final rating. Do either of you have any notes that we have not covered? There's a little thing that I just adore in this episode and, and this serial, and I, I just wanted to call back to it. Um, if you've ever been um, at a convention where Fraser Hines is appearing, uh, that he loves to talk about how much he enjoyed his time on Doctor Who, and particularly just how much fun he had working with Patrick Troughton. He adored Patrick Troughton. And apparently the two of them just had fun together doing this. And, you know, they're both super professional and they knew that you're always on the clock when you're do making a film with the BBC. But every now and then they would do a little bit of clowning around. And the only thing that Fraser says that he can remember where they just did something silly that actually ends up on camera was the moment where in the script, they're supposed to reach back and hold out hands to Victoria. And then the three of them are supposed to walk into the tomb together all three of them holding hands and patrick and fraser you know he's fraser says he can't remember which of them thought of this but they said wouldn't it be hilarious if each of us thought we were taking victoria's hand but we're actually taking each other's and, uh, <laughs> i remember that yeah so the director said you know roll them and they did that and uh you know they just uh, kept going they just kept going they said okay let's 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 print it let's take so that's the take that ends up being in the episode that's good <laughs> it's, it's a great little moment it's like oh not you <laughs> so yeah i love that all right clarence any other notes that you have before we move on so did i notice that some of the cybermen had like crab-like hands or was it just kind of huh. they had three finger hands i noticed oh three finger hands that might have been what I saw then, because when they were breaking out of their, um, what did you call it, Lee cocoon? Yeah, their honeycomb, or whatever. <laughs> honeycomb. It, is, yeah. uh, it looked like they were kind of like chopping, sort of like a crab or something. So maybe the three fingers would kind of fool me. And also, they utter the words, "The struggle is futile." Yes, which is very close to something we'll hear in another franchise. Mm. I'm just saying. So I, I would just I had that written down, especially for you, Mr. Brown. So I would say just. You know, check your calendar of which came first, you know. <laughs> just, That's right. Just just kind of remember that. It's actually a refrain on Doctor Who. We're always being told by villains either that uh, – uh, what, what did you say? Uh, what was the line? The struggle is futile. The struggle is futile or resistance is useless. <laughs> but never together. But never together. You'll you always hear one or the other, and I keep I keep, I keep waiting for it. But yeah, it's, I have to wait for another franchise. So, gentlemen, did you have a favorite scene? Curious. Um, yeah, I would say one of my favorite scenes was at the very beginning when they found the entrance to the tomb. Uh, one of the guys says. Man, you just blew yourself a pair of doors. <laughs> I, I, I just like how the doors kind of just came out of nowhere up on that hill. I thought that was, that was pretty cool. So that was one of my favorites of the episode, actually. All right. So, Lee, what say you? I, I guess I have to go with the, um, you know, what appears to be the majority opinion. I, I just love that tableau of all the Cybermen breaking out of their uh, their tombs. It's um, it's not a very effective tomb, you know, if the <laughs> occupants leave. You know, but still, let's uh, freeze it. Let's raise the temperature. Let's freeze it again. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you have to give them credit for let's. Oh, it's time for them to go back into the tomb. Well, let's not endanger anyone. Let's just play it in reverse. Just run the film backwards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There are a couple of effects in this episode. I guess we're, we're, we're being kind and not pointing out because, um, yeah, there are a number of embarrassing things like that it's pretty obvious that that's what's happening there and the the cable holding toberman up and um yeah <laughs> things was... like that and uh, oh and of course toberman picks up one of the cybermen who is instantly transformed into a dummy cyberman whose joints <laughs> turn the wrong way but you know no no <laughs> say say i have an in-story explanation for that ah. the, the the cyberman was so like Freak, you know, it, it totally the thing that um, takes away their emotions. It yeah. totally blew that. the The Cyberman got really, really scared when Toberman picked him up and just went limp. Yeah, huh? 
Yeah, you know, yeah. I'll buy that. It's the Cyberman equivalent of a wetting your pants. <laughs> yes, exactly. I get that. Exactly. All right. So my favorite scene, I really, really want to go with the scene that you just did of the honeycomb and everything. But I want to go and say my favorite scene is the scene between the doctor and Victoria, because I think this showcases a side of the doctor that we really didn't see before. And this compassion of, are you okay being here with us? With everything that's happened, I think it's something that imprinted on people like Matt Smith, who says, mm-hmm. I want that to be my, you know, this is who I want to pattern my doctor by. So that's my favorite scene. Awesome. You mean when he's uh, comforting her when she's, she's struck by how much she misses her father? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. All right. Favorite quote. And I'll start with saying I ran out of time and do not have a favorite quote. So I'm going to. Be silent there and just say, do you guys have a favorite quote? Mm, I could drum up one. So <laughs> there's a moment when Toberman confronts the doctor and I think grabs his neck and Jamie jumps in to try to help. And then the doctor says, that's all right, Jamie. Your colleague has strong hands, very strong hands. <laughs> Enough to do a little damage if you let off, if, if let off in the right place. Yeah. So, yeah. As I said very badly, but I enjoyed that line. That was pretty good. Yeah. Cool. All right, Lee, what say you? You remind me that while we're defending Toberman, that uh, when the doctor first speaks of him, he calls him this gentleman. Oh. Uh, that that jumped out at me that uh, uh, everybody else is calling him servant and Toberman and him. And, you know, but the, the doctor says, well, let's see, the, let's ask this gentleman, you know. Anyway, so there's that. But no, I, I'm so glad you mentioned that little scene, Kyle, because that's actually these are my favorite lines. And and again, when you do a retrospective of Doctor Who, you almost always see this little clip of uh, Victoria asks the doctor if he can if he remembers, doesn't he miss his family? Does he remember them? Oh, yeah. And he says, I have to really want to to bring them back in front of my eyes. The rest of the time they they sleep in my mind and and I forget. And so will you. Yes, you will. Yeah, it's lovely, really, because he's not saying they're gone and he doesn't care. He's just saying that it's now been enough time that he has to. It has to be a force of will, and uh, he's saying and it's comforting to her. Say no, that's that's what's going to happen to you. It's it's okay. If you but, don't mind, say that again. The last part of that about the sleep in the mind. Say that. Say that line again, please. The rest of the time they they sleep in my mind, and I forget. And so will you. Oh yes, you will. I'm not sure, but I think in The Woman Who Fell to Earth, Jodie Whittaker's line at the end when they're mm. asking her about her family, she paraphrases that to some degree. I remember thinking that at the time. So, I, yeah, well, I need to go back and look at that again. But I, I remember thinking that at the time. I said, wow, she she remembers saying this <laughs> all those years ago. To, yeah. Cool. Yeah, so, so, so real quick, um, so the doctor takes – credit for creating the TARDIS? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> he says, I've perfected it. Yeah. Which may just be a way of explaining to, you know, a Victorian mind. Yeah. That, you know, but he's saying, you know, your, your father was working on something similar, but I've perfected it. Have we chronologically helped me, Kyle? Have we, have we talked about Time Lords in the series yet? Mm, no. No, it's no, not no. until War Games. No, it's not until War Games. Okay. So, yeah. We've seen other Time Lords, meaning we've seen the Meddling Monk. Yeah. But that is the only Time Lord that we have seen. And I don't think right. we've referred, he, he was referred to as one of my people. One of my people. That's right. Yeah. And he's got a TARDIS. Yeah. But, um, does he have a police box or a TARDIS? <laughs> like, what is uh, his TARDIS like? Do oh, we, we should do Meddling Monk. <laughs> yes, we should. We, we, we yeah. should. Because that has actually, one of, to me, one of the most satisfying conclusions in all of Doctor Who. Oh, yes. <laughs> I was just, I just saying, oh, beautiful. Oh, that's perfect, man. That's oh, great. wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so. Yeah, that was the um, first time the Doctor just kind of like went there and just kind of like, oh, you see that? I'm going to get you and I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> a little cruel. But, um, oh, just because I love puns, I have to shout out to this one too. When, uh, the, after they've, uh, uh temporarily, uh, defeated the, uh, Cybermen and the doctor, uh, tells Jamie, uh, oh, the power cable generated an electrical field and confused their tiny metal minds. <laughs> you might almost say that it had a complete metal breakdown. <laughs> and Jamie says, Ooh, I'm sorry, Jamie. Oh, no, there's so many. There's so many. <laughs> there's only like five of them. I mean, come on, guy. I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and, and, you know, I mentioned the tw- the 13th doctor just a moment ago. I want to mention her in a way again, because when I was watching these opening credits, because I really didn't pick up on it when we did the edge of destruction and seeing the first doctor's title sequence. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, the way Patrick Troughton's title sequence works reminded me a little more of the new title sequence that we have with the 13th doctor for some reason. Huh. That's interesting. Like, like my idea was whenever I was watching it, I was thinking if I took this from 1967 and updated it in some program and said, let me create, recreate this. I'm wondering if what I would have gotten would be something very similar to what mm-hmm. we see today. So, so you mean visually? Visually. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there there are the abstract shapes that I I know are video feedback and so on, but yeah, there is that abstraction and uh, and by now we're using my favorite iteration of all time of of the theme song, the one that um, has the bass line in double time. It's the the minor variation that uh, Dealey Derbyshire worked up so that instead of don 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 it goes you know, and and we'll 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 have that until um you know, late in the fourth doctor's time. Yep. So, I mean, there, so for a lot of people, that is still the doctor who thing for that reason. And speaking of music, what we, we were talking about it earlier. So I, I got to ask, are you, are you, are you pulling my leg? Cause I'm talking about dun, 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 bum, 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 I love bum, that. Bum, bum, bum. Boy, like well, literally, I love it's okay that. the first time. <laughs> I need to learn how to play it on my recorder. Oh, yeah. And then play it back to you all the time. Yeah, absolutely do. Yeah. So I think that would make me want to say, what was your final rating? One to five. What was it? And I (laughs) recorded on my recorder. (laughs) I, I, I love so much about this show. I think, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to have to give it, um, um, hmm, four, four, uh, Highland kilts. It, it, they really call attention to Jamie's kilt. It's, I just love that. You know, J- J- Victoria says, "Don't you think it's a, a little?" And the doctor says, "Short." Uh, look at Jamie's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Jamie says, "Oh, I." Yeah, I, I'm going to give it to four four Highland kilts out of five. All righty, Mister Clarence Brown. What say you? Yeah, I'm right there with Lee, and I'm going to give it four Cybermets. Yeah, out of five. All righty. I do believe I will give this, and I'm going to keep using this voice, I think, for the rest of this episode. I'm going to say that I'm going to give this four missing recorders, 4.5 <laughs> missing recorders out of five. You had to throw the missing in there so you could play Right. Yes, because well, it's it's not in not, this story. <laughs> yes, it is not in the story, so it is missing. So, so that I guess that leads me to my final question, which, of course, would be, Clarence Brown, where else can you be found on the internet? Uh, I'm going to say check out the Discussing Trek contest that we have going on now. Where we have an image of uh, Doctor Who and Star Trek. It's a crossover image of uh, uh, James T. Kirk and the Fourth Doctor. And the best caption for said image has a chance to win a Star Trek Discovery Season 2 Blu-ray as well as a Star Trek Discovery model. And we'll drop a link in the show notes. But yeah, that's what I'm shouting out. All righty. And Mr. Mr. Lee Shackelford, where else can you be found on the internet? So many places. I got my fingers in so many pies. And I'll point people, as always, to relativitypodcast.com. Awesome. Awesome. How about you? All righty. I would say for everyone listening, if you would like to find out everything about the Discussing Network, you can go to discussingnetwork.com. And as always, thank you for listening. And we, and I'm not sure about this voice, but we (laughs) will be back next time. Without a recorder. With a recorder. It will remain missing. No. (laughs) We shall keep the recorder or we will have a...
Oh, there we go. Is that the only reason we reviewed this episode? Because you want to say recorder a bunch of times? So. I don't know. That's I'm just fun. I started yeah. You know, we didn't talk at all about the fact that the doctor uh, establishes himself as being 450 years old. In this episode. Yes, he does. Yeah. Because we had just talked about how um, he says in Time in the Ronnie that he's 790, uh-huh. I think. And and so that shows an attempt to keep some kind of continuity because the fourth doctor says he's 549. Mm. And before we move any further, considering the fact that I'm back in my normal voice and I did not yes. stop the recorder. I, I thought I'm, you might. Yes. I, very good. And I really like what you guys just said. I will now tell people, thank you everyone for listening and we will be back next time. You've been listening to The Discussing Network. Find out more at DiscussingNetwork.com.